You know, something I, I think we, we ought to be praying and be uh, mindful of. Sometimes you never know what to say so you don't say anything. That's a pretty good rule. But we've been uh, living through a kind of an evil day, I think, as a church. Last year, I dismissed a staff member in April. And by October, we found out there had been all kinds of sexual abuse. And he's serving time now. And uh, that was on news. It was in the paper. I had pastors calling me. I had people calling me. Is this true? Is this true? Is this true? Since then, even before that, North Creek, I was notified of them. Berean, I was notified of them. Grace Church in Pleasant Hill has just, a man is now in prison for sexually abuse. How can we guarantee it won't happen? I'd say in 45 years, this is our first time. And we've taken a hit. Some families have left. They're afraid for their children. They're afraid for their teenagers. We have Manny in there, and we wanted to put Sean, because Sean knows a little bit about this from his background and would die to protect. I believe he and Manny would die to protect someone. They've got character. And they actually have, Sean has got a 16-year-old and a 14-year-old in there. Don't mess. He'll take you out. I don't know what we'd do if we had Grant. They would have Marine training. <laughs> because we've been protected. We didn't say anything to in that time because we try to keep a lot of things under wraps. But I was told by Grant today, what the congregation doesn't know, they surmise. And we want you to know that when we did the releasing, it was on other issues. This other in October amazed, surprised all of us. None of us knew that. God forbid we knew it and not do anything. By the way, I'm on the lookout. I'm looking out through this church all the time. I'm looking for sin. When we are in an evil day, I always ask, is somebody hiding a wedge of gold in the tent? Is there sin somewhere? Is there somebody living in adultery we're doing nothing about? Anybody stealing the money? Churches do that, you know. You know why churches do it? Sinners attend. I was pulled up on charges of stealing from the church one time. My brother was there. I'd actually bought for 150 bucks Fran's brother's stereo set, and a man unwisely accused me of stealing it. That was crazy. I was getting mad going into the Inquisition. I was really mad that I'm going through this. But before I went in, the Lord reminded me, don't forget, you could have done it. Man, that was scary. You, you used to be a little thief. And so I just simply said to the brethren, men, if I'm going to lose my reputation in my ministry, I want to go out for more than 150 bucks. I want some big cash. Let's make it really count. David knew the truth, told the men where I got it. I might have borrowed the money from David. It was silly. So you do live through this tomfoolery. Don't be shocked. It's in your paper every day. It's in your public schools. We're doing everything we can to protect. And the payoff, what we've seen, we'll see the tide in and out. This is pretty well attended. But some of our attendants washed out. And I can see some people, I don't know if I can go to Valley. I don't know if they're trustworthy anymore. Well, take your kids out of public school. Take them out of private school and get them off the planet. Get them off the planet. Guarantee your kids are never going to be messed with. We just don't want to mess with here. Because we got enough ugly big men, we will take them out if we can. Because we are here to protect the innocent, children, our widows, our orphans, you and I. A lot of you are holding your money. We can't hardly make budget. 
We meet our budget usually the first Sunday of the month. Our general fund budget that pays the lights and does all that. Usually that's the best Sunday. Now in the next three weeks we'll miss it by ten to twenty thousand dollars a week. So pray that resources. I think some people have taken their presents and their money with them, and they're going to slap our hand. I lived through this when my daughter uh, had a pregnancy, and people accused me of not knowing how to raise children, and they left this church. Every time a U-Haul went in front of our church, I thought another family's leaving and finding a pastor that knows how to raise children. I I lived through that for a year. So we lost many people. And they went and found another pastor that has imperfect kids. We preach grace, but we don't believe it if you're a preacher. The devil loves to target leaders. So if you're a leader, if you're not doing anything, you're no big threat anyway. Get out of the battle, you coward. I want someone to stand. Quit ye like men, Paul said. Stand up. Stand for something. Don't be all sleepy. Say, well, I wonder what they're going to do next. I'll tell you what we're going to do. We're going to preach the Bible. We're going to pray. And we're going to stand for the truth. That's what we're going to do. We've been doing it 45 years. I didn't just start yesterday. This didn't just start yesterday. Some folks said, well, you have been preaching the Bible a whole lot. What, because we did Oikos and one another. You're nervous that I never could find the book of Hebrews again. Well, we're in Hebrews 12. We'll be there. But I'm telling you, in the evil day, a lot of people go church shopping. Help yourself. God may do us just like he did Gideon. You got too many men to win this battle. I'm going to take you from 30,000 to 300. So you won't take the credit for the victory. God, you build the church? I don't. I never knew how to. I didn't ever cause you to come anyway. I think God brought you. I think you're here because God wants you here. Now I'm planning to preach to you. Turn to Hebrews 12. And by the way, wait, let's see. Uh, Wendy, you, yeah, young lady, beautiful granddaughter. Could you have grandma stand up? Have grandma stand up. Today, this week, she celebrated her 99th birthday. Happy birthday. Happy birthday. And we still read your cards, Loy. She still sends cards. Carolyn just got her birthday card from Loy. Salty. Quite a woman. Well, Hebrews 12, verse 3. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. They must not have lived in the city of Jerusalem. And have you forgotten the exhortation that addresses you as sons? My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when reproved by him. This was a famous rabbinic uh, uh, teaching right out of Proverbs 3. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises, and that's a very light. It literally in the Hebrew says, and beats with a whip. So you do like these English versions that clean it up. Every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we have had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. It might have taken us years to do it, but finally. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good, that we may share his holiness. For the moment, 
All discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. I want us to look at the father's way of training his children. And he's going to use the comparison of an earthly father and training children compared to the father. But let me give you two things before we get into that. Number one, the sources of suffering in God's people. God's people suffer from all kinds of causes. And I don't want to delve into it deep, but I'll read off. I wrote down, uh, I got 12 uh, things. You might just scratch the verse and look it up on your own. But I found at least 12 reasons why uh, Christians suffer. Because you, we all expect the wicked to suffer, but sometimes they're doing better than us. And that's what the psalmist said. But just causes of suffering among God's people. Number one, Deuteronomy 8.3 said, God took them through the wilderness journey, a hard path. He could have taken them up the coast, and they would have been in Canaan in a matter of weeks. But he took them through the desert, and even had they not rebelled, it was a rough, rigorous, the hardest way. Why did you take us that way? He said, to reveal to you what was in your heart. I tested you to show you your heart. Maybe what you're going through, God wants to show you you, and you're going to be shocked what you find. Because we don't always like what the trial reveals, our impatience, our bitterness, a lot of stuff. Two, he gives us the trials according to Romans 5 to develop our character. That he says, and these trials produce endurance, and endurance produces character or approved behavior. So, character. Three, to purify us. 1 Peter 1, 7 says, God refines us as gold that he may refine us. So, God knows how to consume the dross, the oh, how firm a foundation my dross consume, thy gold to refine. Uh, to know Christ experientially. I want to know Christ. Do you? And the fellowship of his sufferings. Philippians 3.10. Or do, do you really? What is that? The partnership of suffering with him on behalf of his cause in the earth. I'm willing to suffer with Christ for the sake of his name, his gospel, whatever. I want to know you, Christ. Oh, I want the power of your resurrection. Oh, we can get, we get everybody to sign up for that. How about the fellowship of his suffering? To um, teach us how to comfort others. 2 Corinthians 1.3, God comforts us in all of our trouble that we may comfort others with the comfort whereby we've been comforted. He's simply saying, God allows you to have a problem so he could come in and comfort you and help you. And now he turns you into a minister of that comfort. Go share it with somebody else. The best one to comfort a widow is another widow. The best one to comfort someone that's lost a child is someone that's done it. It's just built in. You just... You, you've been there. You know. Pass it on. Um, to teach you not to rely on yourself, 2 Corinthians 1.9. I nearly, he said, despaired when I was in Asia Minor, verse 8. These things happened to me that I would not rely on myself, but upon God who raises the dead. Are you a self-reliant person? God has ways and trials and suffering to stretch you beyond your means and self-reliance. People love to think they're in charge. And, uh, you know, that's what's so humbling about going to the hospital. The only thing between you and a drink of water and a bedpan is a buzzer. And you hope somebody answers it. It's humbling. It's humbling. 
self-reliant man. Then he goes on to keep us from falling into pride. Paul said, I saw things that are not lawful to even share with you. I was caught up to the third heaven, went to the paradise of God, and God showed me things that I won't even get to tell you, Corinthians. But guess what followed up with this exceeding great revelation? A demon started pounding me in the face. And I said, God, it's mixed up. Call him off. I imagine a day later, God, you didn't hear me yesterday. I said, call them off. Third day, I said, call them off. And God said, no, I'm not. It's going to be something used to shrink your head for the rest of your life, Paul. And you won't brag on how much you know. You'll be just saying, I need grace. I need grace to make it. And I've been around men who had an exceeding great amount of Bible knowledge that still needed their heads shrunk. And nothing would do it like suffering. To discover the divine strength in human weakness, 2 Corinthians 12.10, I have learned to rejoice in my suffering because when I am weak, then am I strong. <laughs> uh, I think to teach you and maybe your loved ones, I'd rather have Jesus than 10 children and all my cattle and all my livestock and all my 401K and all this world's goods. I leave it all, and I'm just on an ash heap, but I'd rather have you, God, than all that you gave me. I will not curse you if you strip me. I do not ever want God to test me like that. I'll take Job's testimony. That's all I want. I just want to read the testimony. And it was amazing when Job came to the end of the book. Remember, Job doesn't know what's going on in chapter 1 and 2. We get the story after it all happened. When it was happening, he didn't know the devil was involved and that he and God were having it out. He got caught in between. And he comes down in about chapter 38, God starts saying, you know what? Your arguments with your friends, you've been right, but you've been wrong about me. And he comes to something maybe you've never come to. Job finally said, God doesn't have to give me an answer for why I suffered. I've just come to see he's sovereign, he's omniscient, he's all-powerful, and I'm going to serve him anyhow. See, we live on promises, not on explanations. There's a lot of whys in life that will evaporate with your first glimpse of Jesus. I think um, one of the great sources of all of our problems is we're a sinful race. Death, divorce, decay, hate, all of this has come because of sin. And when you sin, you will suffer. David said in Psalms 51, when he's confessing his adultery with Bathsheba, he said, make the bones you have broken, the bones you have broken, Make them rejoice again. Now, friend, hear me. Hear me. Hear me. If you want to do it, do it. But God's going to break your bones if you're his child. Amen. You won't get away with it. You won't get away with it. Don't think you will. Jonah, I said, Nineveh, and if I have to drown you nearly at the bottom of the ocean, you're going to listen to me, boy. I'm a stubborn lover. I could outrun you. I could outlast you. And young people, you hear me. You just hear morals taught. And the youth group, don't do it, don't do it. Do it! But it won't keep the coal from burning your hand. It won't keep, God's not going to take the stinger out. Mel Trotter was asked to speak somewhere and had been a drunk most of his life. And helped start 
the Pacific Garden Rescue Mission, and he's being asked to go to this meal or whatever. He said, I can't, I can't. He said, God forgave me all my sins, but he never healed my cirrhosis. I drank like a fish for years. I got ulcers. I've got cirrhosis. I didn't get a brand new body when I came to Christ. And I'm living with a lot of the wounds of the stuff. The veins are filled with drugs. The nose and the coke I snorted. And the wreck I got in when I was drunk. And the man I killed because I was out of my head. I can't undo it. Many a Christian is in prison today for a sin running from God. And they'll pay the full penalty. The wages of sin is death. We don't fear God enough. We think it's all grace. Honey, it's grace, but he'll break your bones. Oh, you don't believe it. You don't believe it. Because you've grown up in America where nothing's wrong, everything's right. Let me tell you, he will break your bones. He will break you in two. He will outlast you, Israel. You play the whore, Israel. I'm going to put you in captivity. Your women will be raped. Your children will be eaten in the city walls. Read Lamentations 2. I will see good women eat their own children because you left me. I will drag you to the ends of the earth. Read Deuteronomy 28, 29. You leave me, Israel. You break covenant. I will track you down. I will not be passive because you're my people, and I will break you when you break me. Romans 1, if you want to give me up, I'll turn you over. I have to say I found out it's good. In Romans 1, he didn't say he'd give them up. He said he'd give them over. He hasn't given up on the race, but he did give them over to sin. He hasn't given up. That helps me a lot. Now, let me tell you a little bit before we get into the text. What it was like to raise children as a Jewish father under the law. First of all, he was told that if he didn't discipline his children, he hated them. Proverbs 13, 24. He was told in Proverbs 22, 15, that foolishness or folly, which was sinful behavior, was bound up in the heart of a child. So they knew that once they got a baby, that we've got a sinner, we've got an innate fool, they, they don't know how to behave. They don't have manners. They don't have potty training. They don't know how to hold a fork. They don't know the Torah, the law. And, and in that Jewish home, they knew this. There were no public schools. There was no synagogue in Deuteronomy. The only place children got educated was the home. Could your children get educated in your home? If we cut out the youth group, cut out the children's program, would your kids ever learn the Bible? And it was the primary duty of the father. Turn off the NFL and first invest in the boy and the daughter. See, everybody's got a view on how to raise children. And I really got a good view when I'm looking the way your kids are acting, and I think, when are you going to spank that kid? And those that are non-spankers said, well, you're brutal. Because we've got two views going. We've got the tolerant view that you never touch the darling because they're immaculately conceived, and your baby is so precious it can never do wrong. And you'll believe that lie until about age two. <laughs> Can I get a witness? All you parents, speak up. And then they're going to do what they want. They're going to obey what they want. And then you got the other crowd that's the abuse. Don't, don't touch that child. Don't do that. Oh, you, you told them they shouldn't do that. You did. Then that's abuse. So what do we do? Throw them in the air. Make the public school teach them because they're great on sex. They're great on worldview. They're great on creationism. They're great on moral behavior. They're bankrupt. 
You can't graduate a bunch of 1960 hippies that went all the way through on marijuana to teach your kids how to live. I had a friend of mine that went to Cal. Used to be an elder in this church. So I went to Cal, all right. He said, I passed an art class. All we did is smoke weed, drink wine, and I just was glad I got home without hitting somebody, and I got a name in the class because I can keep up with the prof smoking weed. This is Cal Berkeley, you know, a prestigious school. I'll tell you, the bankruptcy. So everybody, who's going to teach my child? Biblical times, biblical times. Instruct your children. Know they're depraved. Know they've got a sin nature made in the image of God. They've got to be instructed, corrected, rebuked, and even corporal punishment. There was no question of what do you do under the law? You call your mother a name. Under the law of Moses, the God who gave Jesus Christ. Don't look at me like I'm barbaric up here. The God of the Bible said, if the man curses his mother, the elders of the town are to stone him and let the birds of the air eat him. This is what God, this isn't Ben-Hur. This is the Bible. Oh, you like to steal. We've got a cure for that. Juvenile hall. Oh, no, no, no. And Brother Stubby, had a rough time stealing like he used to. We just, we, just, we just cut that off. Just cut it off. By the way, in biblical times, there were no prisons. They fed no prisoners. You, if you stole, you usually paid 20%. You return what you stole plus 20%. Okay? But you never fed, housed, or kept prisoners. If you killed someone, it's life for life. You don't need a prison when you don't have to feed them. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm talking about the Bible. I'm not talking about you more sophisticated Western people. No prisons all the way through the Bible. Only when the Romans conquered Israel did they have prisons. But under the theocracy, under Moses, no prison. Immediate judgment, paying for the fine, discipline, stoning, whipping, which was very common. So he's saying, now you Jewish people, you've grown up with the Proverbs. You know that this instruction process incurs pain, incurs suffering, but it's the way you grow up. It's not forever. It's a process that produces a great product. Now, let's see what he says. Let's look at the proverb. First of all, the peril of ignoring divine discipline. Notice what he says. Do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor be weary when you're reproved by him. Ah, uh, what's he saying there? Uh, don't slough it off that God has gotten involved in your life just like when God picked you up as a sinner. Uh, let's say the pagan world. If you have been worshiping child sacrifices or the immoral behavior of the Greek-Roman world, you had no morals, you had no modesty, uh, you had no clue. About, and God says, guess what? I'm going to become your father in Jesus Christ and I know how to raise children. And I'm going to raise you to act like my son. And he said, well, I, I just want to go to heaven. He said, I know that. But before we get there, I'm going to work on you. I want to change you where you start acting like my child. Ooh, I'm not sure. Does that involve any discomfort? Oh, plenty. Because you're stubborn. And I know you're going to pick the way we do. Some might go on easier, but you stubborn kind, I've got stronger instruments. Okay. Well, don't take it lightly that I'm your teacher. And, and don't be weary. And this word weary is don't fall apart. Don't just fall. 
It's ek luol. Don't just cave in and say, oh, no, no, no. He said, endure. Keep running. Don't, don't run away from home because God's your father. No, no, no. Stay in there. Stay in there. And then he said, for the Lord disciplines the one he loves. The word discipline here is a little Greek word, padia. And it means simply child raising. Discipline, as soon as we hear it, it's a negative connotation. No, I'm going to child raise you. That's all he's saying. And then he says, there's two purposes you'll learn from my discipline. Two things you'll, you'll discover. Number one, it's the way I'll show you that I love you. I discipline whom I love. Two, I'll prove to you that you're my son. Because all sons, all true children of mine go through this. Then he goes on to say, if you stand up under discipline, you know God's treating you as sons. For what son is there that a father does not discipline? If you're left without discipline in which all, all my sons, have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Illegitimate children in Greek times were the children of slaves, prostitutes, concubines. And the big thing was not just how they got here, but they were children that the father said they will never be an heir to anything I have. So why waste my time educating them? I, I'm not investing time in a non-heir. So he said, if you're truly born again and you're God's child and you're going to be an heir with Christ of all things, God says, I'm going to train you as your father. I'm stooping to take the role of a parent. It's, uh, it's quite a job to teach a child, is it not? All kinds of personalities. I thank God, I believe, for giving me girls. Because, man, the boys are stubborn. I mean, usually. Now, some of you are, but it seemed like it just bred in the boys. Not you, but some. Don't get all defensive. It just, they need a little bit more upping the ante. They got to know dads there. It's so tough for that single mother who's raising boys. Because there's just a, a difference when the man is there to be the bad cop. Said, if you don't have this discipline, you're illegitimate. Wow, we don't want that. We all had fathers who disciplined us, and it seemed like every family can talk about the spankings they didn't deserve. Does your family do this? I was reading John MacArthur telling a story about he disciplined his son, found out later he didn't do it. And he said he just, it broke his heart. The boy said, I didn't do it, I didn't do it. And he didn't, but dad spanked him just to be safe. <laughs> you know what I mean? He said, well, I know you got one coming anyway. And uh, he felt bad about that. And, and what does discipline, what's the reason for it? Verse 10, he does it for a short time. And the disciplines us for who's good? All things are working together for my good, even God's discipline methods. David, I'm not going to disown you. I'm just going to make you wish you had never done it. You're still my son. But meet me. I am going to take the lives of your children by the way, David, let me just tell you this. I have forgiven your sin. I'm not going to kill you. Whew. But I'm going to unleash the sword in your house so you will never cease to have somebody trying to kill your descendants. That's what he did. 
All the time he's calling him a son. He says, you've unleashed something that uh, I'm not going to correct. The sword will never depart from your house. And his greater son was speared to death on a cross. The sword never left David's house. Just for one night of sex. You're my son. You're my child. But you know better. He said he disciplines that we may share in God's holiness. Isn't that interesting? God's holiness, his attitude about everything, separation from sin. I'm putting you through a process that you get my character and you learn to act like me. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant. But later, look what it produces. The peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. So, I participate in God's holiness. He does it for my good. And here it will produce the fruit of right behavior, right living. I I want to just say, listen to what the psalmist said. Listen to this. See if this ever happened to you. Before I was afflicted, I went astray. But now I observe thy word. It is good for me that I have been afflicted, that I may learn thy statutes. Father, it was good that you afflicted me. Because I was wondering without it. Listen to what he says. I will instruct you and teach you in the way you should go. I will counsel you with my eye upon you. Be not like the horse or a mule without understanding, which must be curved with bit and bridle, or it will not stay near you. Don't be stubborn. Let let me nicely, just with my eye, let me train you. Just do what I say. Let me train I don't want to use bit and bridle and whip and all of those implements. Don't. Don't do it. But I will if I have to. Stubborn Israel, he did it too. What about 1 Corinthians 11? I have decided to kill some of you and to make some of you sick because you did not take the Lord's Supper the way I said. 1 Corinthians 11, you read it for yourself, verse 32. Or what if you want to lie about your giving? That's okay. I want to kill you, Ananias and Sapphira. I'll kill you. Most of our churches would be decimated if he did that. So many of you lying about money and God. I love you, I love you, and you're lying. You won't give. He knows, but he's so kind. He's so patient. Um, And then godly sorrow produces repentance. Did you know that God brings sorrow in our life to get us to change our mind? Repent. Have you ever repented? You know what he said in Revelation 19, 319, Laodicea, I'm about to spew you out of my mouth, but let me say to the few left in that church, John MacArthur, I just heard him say, nobody's saved at Laodicea. I disagree, but I was surprised to hear him say it. But he said, I'm going to spew the majority of you out of my mouth. But he says, there must be a remnant there because as many as I love, I rebuke. Let me say this. The most scary thing to any human life is for God to leave you alone in your sin. That's what hell is all about. I won't ever bother you again. You'll never hear another hymn. You'll never hear another sermon. You'll never be bothered by the hounds of heaven again. I'm going to leave you alone. I'm not going to try to save you, change you, convert you. I leave you to your choice. And I must say to you, my greatest fear is that we can get bow-necked and stubbornness and hardness of heart so that, according to Hebrews, encourage one another, lest hardness and insensitivity take over the heart. What a job. I'd say, parents, 
don't trust our youth group and our children's ministry to do what you're supposed to do. I see people in Awana that have been doing it for 25 to 30 years, and I'm amazed at how many younger families don't get involved. I know Marilyn's been over there. Marion just stepped down. My own wife, other people, been doing it for years. Marion did it for years in a building that needs an elevator, but a 93-year-old woman kept navigating the stairs. Is it her job to raise your kid? She wasn't raising them, but let's say that hour, that hour and a half. I remember my son-in-law one time told me, I'm not counting on the youth group to reach and train my kids. God gave them a dad to do that, and I'm going to do it. Thank you. What would we do if there was no youth group, no Awana, no children's ministry? Would your children be educated by you? In, your, uh, in the things of God, not math, not world history, God. Is God taught in your home? And I think many have already abdicated. And guess what? Here's the thing. Hear me what's going on in the culture. So we unleash the boy or girl that you never trained, and the only thing that can curb them is a policeman that will get mad because he's too brutal. And many, we've been exposed lately. Many have been. But who, who rounds up all the rebels in the culture that were never taught and never disciplined? Then what do you do with them? Nobody's safe to go outside. My sister Ruth and I, when we lived in South Richmond, 29th Street by Jack Newell's, we would walk from the projects to the Uptown Theater across the tracks down by Carlson by Pullman Yards and walk to the Uptown Theater and walk home at night when the sun had gone almost down. It'd be about 5.36 around there. I was in the third grade. She was in the fifth. No one messed with us. I wouldn't want to walk that today. I don't think it'd be safe. I would say God is the most benevolent child raiser you'll ever know. And uh, I would say some things. I would address you fathers. Be careful. If you spank your children, don't do it in anger. Spanking was never meant to vent your anger. Spanking was meant to create enough pain so that the lesson would be learned. Hear me? I'm going to put enough pain, not on your face, or hit on the head, on your bottom, that it will reinforce the lesson. If you call that barbaric, you wrestle with Proverbs and God. I'm just quoting God. I go along with God on this. I don't agree with California and you. I go along with God. So don't spank children in anger. Don't box them around. Don't do all that. Teach them. Our dad used to tell us, boys, the moment you become a father, you were voted in to be a teacher. Now, the issue is, what will you teach? Dads, be involved in the lives of your kids, and sure, mama, but let's get our men involved in shaping these. You know, we, we beg to get men to get them over there and work with our children. What, what's your problem, Rambo? What's your problem? Don't be talking about feed me the word. Oh, baloney. I've been feeding you the word 45 years. When are you going to exercise the word? Who's going to be models to these young boys that would be called by the world bastard that we call precious, that have an eternal destiny and need a godly man loving them and shaping them for Christ? Is it just women's work or is it man and woman? And let me say to all you workaholic dads, you guys too busy watching football games to be involved in the family. I think two lessons in all the child rearing we did that I'll never forget. One is wanting to spank my girls for turning the paste into a mess in the floor in a brand new house. And I wanted to spank them 
both Deborah and Rebecca. It was just powder. It fell on the new carpet. Then to clean it up, they poured water on it. <laughs> Didn't work too good. It, it just needed a vacuum. But then, man, a little bisquick. And so I come there, and as a spirit-filled father, I was ticked. They need their little bottoms roasted. So I get the spoon. I'm getting ready. And I never forget in that, I, you know, I like golf. I was going to make it count. They were going to go in the next bedroom. Mm -mm. If you did that on the patio, it's okay. This is a new carpet. Well, when I, I get about here, I'm telling you the truth. It's like a voice out of heaven came. Hold thy hand, my son. And God just in that instant said, were they rebelling or did they make a mistake? Well, they weren't rebelling. They made a mistake. And God just says, do I spank you for mistakes and failings or do I spank you for rebelling? I thought, well, God, why are you preaching to me? Those girls deserve a spanking. <laughs> he said, don't do it. I didn't. And when I, when I put down the spoon, I said, you girls had better be thankful there's a God in heaven. Your life was just spared. <laughs> God spared your life right then. And all children said, yes. I'll tell you another one, and then I can close. It has nothing to do with Hebrews. It has to do with child rearing. This one is a painful one, very painful. It's a shameful one, but I did it. I think my daughter was living, was our youngest was living in uh, Hawaii. Her husband was in the Navy. She's flying home, had to fly out of San Francisco. I was to take her to the airport. She was 19, 20, maybe. And so we get over there, and on the way, and Elizabeth has this little, She's always a little girl to me. She just has that way about her. And so on the way over, and when I, I pull in, we're getting ready just to, I'm going to drop her off at the curb. I don't like all the goodbyes. Drop them off and peel out. <laughs> you know, because th these emotional goodbyes are hard. I don't like goodbyes. And so as a loving father, slide in the curb. Get out. Not quite. But on the way, she said, Dad, wouldn't it be wonderful if you could just park the car and I've got about two hours to, and we can just drink coffee together and have a good time? <laughs> and in my mind, I'm thinking, I've got to get back to the office because there's eternal work to be done. I got to get back because I'm a driven workaholic fiend. Jesus is coming soon. He's not interested in talking to little baby daughters. And as I left, I saw this sad face, water standing in the eyes, like, oh, I wish we could have had this moment. All the way back, I cried all the way back to the office. Thought, you idiot, you fool. There was nothing at the office as important as spending an hour with that girl. Why don't some of you guys get away from your computer and your schedule and spend a quality hour with a boy or a girl? It might make an eternal difference. Father, we thank you for your kind patience and the way you have raised us in Christ. I would like to thank you, Father, for my old mom and dad. Just plain folks. While wow, they were, they made their mistakes. But I knew I had a dad, and I knew I had a mom. I thank you for every spanking I got, because I deserved all mine. Thank you for the wisdom invested. I pray help every family in their family, raising the children around their feet. Don't let them consult all the secularists, but consult God. You know how, Lord.
And I think when I was raising them all, I, I believe it's Proverbs. I didn't consult other books. I just thought if God said it, and it was hard at times, but I was trusting that your word and your way would work, and it did. I pray, Father, for every child of God that's suffering today. We, I don't know why. I don't know why some of my brothers and sisters have been decapitated in Egypt, Libya, and why many of our brothers and sisters have been killed in Syria, have gone underground in Iran. I don't know why. The older I get, I got more wise that I'll have to wait till heaven for the answer. But I do know this. I'm a son. And even when the spanking hurts, you've changed my character, changed my choices, and made me know I was forever loved by a God that would nail his unique son to a cross for me that he might bring me home and make me his own. If there's anyone here that feels illegitimate, feels unowned, unloved, and not a part, may they know that you today call them to come. Receive my son, and you'll become a child. You'll get into my family. Receive Jesus Christ, and you'll become a member of my family. And I will train you, love you, care for you, instruct you, oh, I will be a father to you like none you could ever imagine. I thank you, Father, for this precious congregation that has lifted me up and faithfully helped me all these years. Bless. Let us grow. Let us outlive the scandal we've lived through. Heal our image. Make, get the word out that we have workers that will lay down their life to protect because we value young lives. Even that newborn baby, oh, Father, help us to love children in this church and to love the loyal, uh, salty, and those who have been with us so many years. I thank you for every gray head in this church. It's a compliment. It's not just a young church. It's your church. Doesn't matter the age, the color, the social standing. Your church is where we want to be found. Today, may we encourage one another with these words. In Jesus' name, amen.